So here's why today is really, really important. Most advisors that I work with and that I coach and that I just chat with spend the first several years of your business just trying to make that paycheck, right? They want to know or you want to know that you're going to survive in this business. You're going to be able to cover your mortgage, you know, maybe even feed your family, you know, those kind of good things. You hire some help along the way. Then at some point, you're working like a crazy person because you've got those clients that you prayed for. You've got the revenue that you didn't know was even possible. And you've got support people on your team, but yet you're still overwhelmed and the business you built is slowly killing you. Okay, that might be a little bit of an overdramatization, but you get the point. You know, you get to that 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 time when you realize that you need to work on your business and not just in it. You need to, what I call, step into that CEO role and start creating systems and processes, a detailed and defined planning process, and a killer client experience that you can scale. But (laughs) one of the major problems that you run into is that maybe you've never been a CEO or a boss or a leader. And you're trying to be an advisor, the weight of your practice is on your shoulders, you're trying to be the CEO and manage the people while trying to grow and scale. And leadership is a skill. And most of us at this point in our careers haven't really taken the time to sharpen this skill. And it is a critical thing to have to grow your business into a self-managing business that you can step out of and that you can get a breather or, you know, just maybe not even be such a slave to your business. So leadership is a very important topic. And Elena is just the person to have this conversation with because this is her sweet spot. And when we recorded this interview, I got what I call the tingle. Okay. So what's the tingle? The tingle is when you have this experience that's just so awesome. You can feel in your bones that it's so good. (laughs) So I'm excited to take you on this journey where Elena is going to walk us through kind of the four steps of developing your leadership skills. And included in that is her five levels of leadership. So today, come on in. We are talking all about being a boss. Okay, and so we're not just talking about being a boss, like I said in the intro, we're talking about being an incredible boss, being an effective boss, being a true leader. And if you're like the leaders and advisors that Elena coaches, you have an ideal picture of who you want to be and what you want to accomplish in your business, in your personal life, and in your community. As a leadership coach, keynote speaker, and author, Elena serves people by helping them make that ideal a reality. Elena is passionate about helping people know, embrace, and steward their gifts and understand their most important values to fully step into their purpose and reach their highest potential. Elena knows the unique challenges and opportunities for female leaders and female business owners in male-dominated industries. She's been in the financial services industry for 17 years and has held roles from advisor to executive field vice president. And if you're a woman looking to take your business, leadership, or influence to the next level, 
Elena invites you to have a conversation about the power of coaching. Elena also consults with leaders and companies to help them enhance the way that they serve women. If you want to change the world, empower a woman. That's her favorite quote from Nick Kristoff. Elena is on a mission to empower women. (laughs) So there's her bio. She's pretty incredible. And I have known Elena for probably 15 or 16 years. We both recently left the same parent company. I sold my financial planning practice back in 2019 and Elena left leadership in 2021. And really we both left to pursue our passion of helping advisors. Um, You know, we do it in very different ways and we have been just chatting and masterminding for the last couple of years and it's just been so much fun. So we're both huge fans of collaboration over competition and, um, You know, if you pair this episode with the episode that I did on the five stages of delegation, you are going to be an unstoppable leader, manager, boss. Okay, so let's get into the interview, get excited, and I hope by the end you feel the tingle too. Dana, welcome. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks, Libby. I'm so happy to be with you. Yeah, I'm a like, huge fan of efficient <laughs> advisors. So this is, I'm like really fangirling over here. Yay. Well, thank you. Well, let's talk leadership. So when an advisor kind of gets to that point, you know, that I'm talking about where they realize, okay, I have to step into the CEO role. And with that comes a whole additional slew of skills that I don't even know that I need. And now that I'm identifying that I need them when an advisor recognizes, okay, leadership, this is something I really need to take seriously. If I'm going to grow and scale my business where, where do they even go to start? Like, how do you start developing leadership? Yeah, I think that that's such a great question, Libby. And, you know, for those advisors that are asking them that question, um, I just want to start by saying a lot of people aren't even self-aware that leadership is the skill set that they need to develop. So just the fact that people are thinking that I think is really awesome. It means they're really, really self-aware. And so I couldn't agree with you more. I think that uh, leadership is absolutely a skill. And I think that sometimes in our um, lives, in our business lives, we think of leadership as um, talent that people either have or they don't have. And actually, I just... That's right. We hear phrases like that all the time. And while people, I think, are born with influence, leadership is is certainly a skill. So, um, and I think, you know, this falls into two main brackets of kind of advisors that I've worked with over the years. To your point, Libby, they they have built a real foundation of a business, a lot that they should be proud of. And there's two camps. There's people that continue to want to grow aggressively, but they aren't willing to work more. They've worked harder than you know this. Anybody that I know, the people that have worked the hardest in my experience are literally financial advisors, okay, in my life, the hardest workers. So they want to continue to grow, but they're not willing to work harder. They can't physically work harder. It's not because they don't want to. They can't put more into the business. And then there's another camp of advisors that that I see a lot that need to develop in leadership skills. And these are people that they may not necessarily want to um, grow in the same way as camp one. Growing a, a huge mega practice is not their goal, 
but they also have come to a point where they realize they can't also give more to the business. You know, they can't work harder. They need to be able to um, give more to other areas of their life. So those are kind of the two camps of people that I really think, you know, whether you want to grow something huge or you have grown something that you're really proud of and you realize that you don't want the weight of the business on your shoulders anymore. That's kind of like the time when I think, Hey, it's time to really, to, to really sharpen those skills, to really invest in your leadership development. Okay. And I love that you called that out because I think sometimes, uh, people think, okay, leader leadership, uh, those types of skills are necessary only if you're going to build this massive enterprise where you're kind of here at the top and you've got all these advisors or junior advisors, you're running a diamond practice, you're doing, you know, all the things where you have all the people and you right. have this big vision. And I'll be honest, I was in camp too, right? Like I knew I wanted to get to seven figures. I knew I wanted certain things, but I did not. And it wasn't that I didn't play well with others. I just didn't want a huge big, hairy business with a bunch of people. Cause I knew if I hired all these people, all their problems would become my problems. And I really was just wanting to focus on making great money, serving my clients well, and mainly being a mom and a wife. Right. So I'm really, really glad that you called that out because sometimes I used to feel a lot of shame for that, that I didn't have mm. this like deep desire down in my belly to grow a, you know, a 10 figure business and do all the things and be the massive mega, you know, the mega practice. So I'm really glad to hear you say that. And I appreciate that. And I think it's important too, for people to recognize if they are in camp too, that they still need to be a leader in order to achieve that lifestyle that they're looking for. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you can only scale so much if you don't have great people around you and you can only attract and retain great people when you're really owning your leadership skills. Right. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but leadership is, is typically one of the top four reasons why people leave a job. So if you have a practice similar to yours that uh, you really needed to rely on excellent people, you needed to step into that leadership title. Right. Um, and it's just really, really important to retain and, and certainly to attract great people. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about that. So when you say one of the top four reasons that people leave, tell me more about that. Yes. Well, let's jump in there. I really think, um, I mean, I think there's really four, four key things that I could share with you with this audience today to really step into leadership within your practice. And by the way, Libby, I think this is, um, this is not just for advisors. I think I met with an estate planning attorney last week and this was her number one area of growth for this year. She needed to scale. She needed to hire a staff attorney. And she said, I really need to grow my leadership skills. So this isn't just an advisor um, growth area. This is, I think, a really small business growth opportunity. So, um, but yeah, so let's jump in. Should we jump into the, the four, four ways? Yeah. Okay. 100%. So the first one would be, I... I'm going to share with you, but I'm also going to insert an eye roll. And that is to really create a mission, vision, and values that people are excited about. And I, I say that I insert an eye roll because when I first, I was working with a leadership coach and we were, just to give you a little background, we were merging together two regions um, that had two different cultures 
two different sets of leaders. And she really encouraged me to sit down and really think through the mission, vision, and values of my organization. And I'll, and I'll relate this to the advisor role in a minute. And I remember just thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this. this mission, vision, and value. Yes. This is like <laughs> a corporate role that somebody has and it doesn't make any sense to me. And she really, really forced me to slow down. And I'm so thankful. And, and what she really enforced with me is that your culture, the culture of a financial planning practice is shaped by the leader's mission. Here's what we do. The vision, here's where we're going. And then the values, here's how we're agreeing to show up. Until I really put that down on paper and started sharing it with my team, um, it, it, I ended up finding out later that especially a compelling vision was how I was able to attract some of my best people. And I see that in planning practices too. You know, we know that to grow a planning practice, we need to have exceptional people and people want to be part of something bigger than themselves. So while I used to do the eye roll, now I really sit down with advisors and say, this is important because people will be attracted to who you are, what you're doing and where you're going. Okay. It's hugely I important. Love, I love that you say that. So in our group coaching program that we're testing, we just went through, this was like the first part, right? We kind of were like stripping it back and kind of relaying the foundation foundation and same thing. And I kept saying, you guys are going to hate this. It's going to feel crappy. It's going to feel cheesy. You're going to be like, what am I doing? I'm here to create systems and processes. Like, why are we doing this garbagey, you know, stuff, but we really went through like the five brand pillars, you know, positioning, personality, values, client experience, purpose, kind of your whole why story. Um, and it's funny because when we were doing it, everyone hated it, right? Like there was all like, I know I should do this, but I really don't want to, this isn't like the sexy stuff. This isn't the the stuff that makes me feel like I'm really like moving my business forward in a really meaningful way. Um, but we talked about, you know, a lot about why story and why having one that compels clients to want to work with you, but also to, you know, to compel employees to be part of something bigger. And it's funny because everyone, I roll, I mean, it was like, I roll central on the zoom call. We were all like, sure. I even was like, I don't even like talking about it, but it's so critically important. And when we were done, everybody was like, I'm so glad we did that. Or, Oh, I shared this all with my team. Or we sat down and did this together as a team. And it was a really great exercise. So I'm really, really glad that, that you brought that up. Cause I, I think sometimes we underestimate how, you know, we think of a stuff as like, at least in my opinion, we think like some fortune 500 companies do. And that seems like something is something, you know, you just need that. Like if you're going to be a big company, you need that right, right. Brand, right. Right. Um, but it is super duper important. Tell me a little bit more. So like having this vision, this, um, you know, this mission, this values that you're talking about, how, how does that make employees connect deeper with your, with your practice? Like what, how does it get them excited? Yeah, good question. I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that, you know, right now, um, in just where we are as a society, we are in a war for talent. As, as business owners, um, as big companies, as small companies, we are in a war for talent. And, you know, when you look at um, exceptional people. I mean, Libby, think about people that have worked for you and the folks that you would say, I would never have been able to do what I do without this person. Oftentimes 
it's not just you. They trust you. They see you. They see your the way you do business. But they also got on board with your vision, right? And I just think having a compelling vision, a compelling mission gives people something worth giving their best efforts to, right? They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. If they wanted to be a small business owner, they probably would go do that on their own, but they don't. They want to be part of something bigger. And when you give them a vision, they give you their best efforts. And so I just think it's super powerful um, for, for small business owners to slow down and say, hey, what am I doing? Where am I going? That's, that's worthy of somebody's best efforts. And when you communicate that, a lot of times we keep it up here, right? Mm-hmm. We know where we're going. We know this big vision that we have, but we don't always communicate it. I was, I was having a coaching session with an advisor um, there out of the Madison, Wisconsin area, and they have a young, really talented paraplanner. And they, we were having a conversation about really what is his development plan and, and how do we make sure that he retains with the practice. And I challenged her. I said, Jamie, what, what, um, what have you shared with him in terms of where you're going as a practice? So the next leadership meeting that they had as a team, they shared what we had been working on mission, vision, values. And knowing, hearing that from her, he shared back and just said, this is something that I want to be part of long-term. And she hadn't really shared it. And when she did, it was super compelling. Of course, there's other components that need to be there, but, but knowing that there's it up here and making sure it's coming out and probably consistently revisiting, reminding, um, having that kind of be part of the DNA of the practice on an ongoing basis, keeping it front and center. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I think about any time you have an opportunity to, to communicate with your team, always be referring back to the mission, vision, values, have that be part of your recognition, have that be part of, like you said, the DNA, it's always front and center. This is what we do. This is where we're going. And this is how we agree to show up. We want to recognize that. Oh, okay. Okay. So so the first step of becoming a great leader is foundational, doing the eye roll kind of work and creating that mission, vision value. And I think that's the kind of thing that helps you leap out of bed, you know, and gets you excited to show up on the hard days or to show up on the, you know, early morning or stay the late couple of you know hours to get something done is having a, a true connection to what is the, what is the actual vision and values of this practice. Like, why am I doing this all day, right. every day? Yeah. Okay. I love right. it. Okay. So what's next? That's step one. What's step two? All right. Step two is creating a culture of leadership. So we've been talking a lot about the practice leader, the firm owner, really stepping into their role as a leader, but, um, and of course, leading yourself is the first leading yourself. Well, is step one but also casting a vision for leadership within the business, I think is really important. This was actually a game changer for me because it's one thing if I, as the leader, am investing in developing my leadership skills, but it doesn't matter that much if I'm not transitioning those leadership skills to the people around me. It will help, but now I want to cast a vision for growth and leadership within my team. And so I'm going to share with you a framework that I learned from a coach that I worked with years ago. And I'm not kidding when I say Libby, 
this was game changing. And it's, and it's the five levels of leadership. And it's my old coach, Ray Kelly. He's now one of my colleagues at Think to Perform, but it's five levels of leadership. And I mean it when I say, like, I want people to stop what they're doing and write this down, because if they take one thing from today, I really want this to be it. I really want this to be it. Yes. I love, okay. Everyone, no more multitasking. Stop what you're doing. <laughs> Pull over, get off the treadmill or come back to this part of the podcast. Cause I've heard you talk about this before and it's so, so good. Okay. So go on. Okay. So five <laughs> levels of leadership. This really casts a vision for your team on how they can grow in their leadership within the business. So level one, when told what to do, they get the job done. And we, of course, need level one leaders, and we all start as level one leaders. So it is very task-oriented, right? When told what to do, they get the job done. And if people stay there, they're always relying on somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. So level two, and I'm going to go through this fast, is being able to do level one leadership, and they can identify problems. So Unfortunately, without casting a vision for leadership in the business, this is where a lot of teammates get stuck, right? Whether these are staff advisors or peer planners or office professionals or operations managers, right? The environment was set up based on one person's vision, and they continually bring the problem back to the leader. The leader tells them what to do, and then they go and implement, right? When told what to do, they get the job done. And so it's good to be able to identify problems, but if that's where it ends, uh, it ends up, you know, problem after problem after problem gets cascaded to the leader and that isn't productive either. So level three is um, being able to do level one when told what to do gets the job done and level two, they can identify problems. And level three is adding to that, they can come up with solutions. And we love level three leaders because, and you can think about this, Libby, in your own experience or for the experiences of the advisors listening, when you have that um, teammate that comes on board and they're they're highly talented and they say, um, what's a good example, Libby, the, the copy facts whatever machine. I don't even know if we use those anymore. Are those still out there? I'm not sure either. <laughs> I don't know. It died. It died. And um, so, you know, can you, can you get that done? Well, that's where a level two leader is going to stop. They can't do their job without this copy fax machine, right? That doesn't exist anymore. But a level three leader will say, but Libby, I do want to let you know that I did a little research. Um, I kind of found out this is actually what we need. A lot has changed since you purchased that piece of equipment. I found something a lot more streamlined. It aligns with where we've gone from a paperless standpoint. It has service embedded in the program. There's, here's are the two top options. Here's the differences between the both. I recommend option A, but let me know what you think. Yes. Yeah. And as a business owner, you're like, my gosh, you know, I, you could almost cry. I could almost cry thinking about, you know, having that new talent come on board the team and realizing, my gosh, this is why I love this person, right? They, when told what to do, they get the job done. They're able to identify problems. And not only that, but they come to me with solutions and it's not just dumping it into my lap. I can make a quick decision as a leader and off we go to the next 
client meeting to the next productive thing, right? And so it's beautiful. We love level three leaders. So level four, and again, writing this down, level four leaders can do level one, two, and three, right? They can identify solutions, but this is a game changer for any business. And when I say this, advisors will think about their personal experience or think about maybe communities that they've been part of, think about businesses that they've been part of, and it will now start to put a framework of really why things happened. So a level four leader, Libby, is when um, they can do level one through three, but can also mobilize a group of people around a common cause and and drive results consistently. Mm -hmm. So they can mobilize a group of people around them, around a common cause and drive results consistently. So I think about some of the beautiful work that you're doing around systems, processes, ideal client experience, right? And when you have somebody on your team that can mobilize a group of people, their other teammates around a ideal client experience and then drive results consistently, that is a game changer, right? Um, And and it honestly makes such a big difference when when you can develop as a leader one other level four, your world changes. Oh, I, I, as you're talking through them, I'm thinking about my practice over, you know, the 16, 17 years or whatever, and kind of in my mind picturing like, okay, when this person hit that level, yeah. And you're absolutely right. When level four happened is when it was like, not only can I breathe, but I actually have margin and I can do the things that I'm supposed to be doing. I can focus my time, energy, and education on the visionary stuff, the more like the more CEO-y kind of things. And I really where this practice is going to go because I'm out of that minutia and I can trust somebody else to execute. And I think the, my favorite word in there is consistent, you know, consistently yes. executing. So that's, that's huge. Okay. So we grow people to level four, like level three is like where it starts to get pretty awesome. And level four is where it just goes bananas. Okay. So you got it. You got it. Level five. The more level fours you have, the more growth that you will see in your practice. Yes. So level five, of course, is being able to do level one through four, but the leader ties everything back to the mission, vision, and values of the organization. But most importantly, they are invested and consistent in developing other level four leaders. So let me say it again. Compound effect. (laughs) Yes, it's the compound effect. So ties everything back to mission, vision, and values, but most important develops other level four leaders. Love it. And so without having that mission, vision, and values established, it, you know, it is, again, it's hard to attract leaders and it's hard to develop them in the practice, right? So having just this vision and framework for leadership is really important. The the thing that I always ask people, um, and you already kind of gave away the answer, is as you think about five levels of leadership, what's the first thing that you think about? Ooh, freedom. Freedom. Yep. What else? Like from a, because you kind of just gave it away. the, The first thing that you thought of was probably where was I at at a level as a in the levels of leadership. And then also you, you said earlier, I was thinking about getting somebody to level four leadership on my team and how much that made a difference, you know? So if you can start Uh to self analyze and be self-aware of not only where am I at 
and where do I need to go? But also level five leaders start thinking about their people right away. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because okay. most importantly, they have to develop other people. And so I loved that that's where your mind went to immediately was like, oh yeah, ha- having that experience of de- developing somebody along kind of a continuum and how amazing that was for you. So it just shows you're, you're, you're not a natural born leader, Libby, right? You actually develop that skill so acutely and it's why you were so successful. Yeah. I was naturally born bossy. So I'm not (laughs) naturally born as a leader with true leadership skills. None of us are right. (laughs) So I love that. So something we talk about a lot is like building. Um, and I'd love to kind of get your, your feedback on this, but building like, um, no matter how small your practice, even if it's just you in an admin, but I say, okay, or this is like another eye roll thing that I always feel like I get, but an org chart <laughs> with an idea of like defined roles, defined results. Um, so you can really kind of guide your employees through what's next for them or where you're going as a small business. So, you know, not having more than one role divided up among people and not have, you know, but one person can fill more roles. Like that's like a whole, like a whole nother thing, but literally so people can see how do I, in my existing role fit into this business? How does my role relate to other people's roles? How does it all tie back to that kind of core vision, but really that like bird's eye view. So kind of zooming back to 10,000 feet and showing them, okay, well, where, what options do you have within my, my business? Right. Cause one of the things I hear from advisors all the time is like, well, you know, I want to keep, I want to attract people who want to grow. And if there's not a lot of opportunity for them to grow within my business, like how do I compete with the bigger companies? How do I compete with the firms that do have, you know, this big hierarchy and organizational structure. So, you know, kind of zooming back and showing them like, these are the skills, these are the um, licenses. Here's the upward mobility potential. Here's the growth opportunity within this even teeny tiny little practice. So if you're filling three or four, three or four roles as an advisor, even if you have this on an org chart and here's Libby, and maybe right now I'm doing all the advice and I'm doing a lot of the operations to deliver the advice. And maybe I'm even doing marketing or something like that. When we have it all down on paper, your team can look at it and say, that's something I can take. Like I can aspire to that role. So what skills, what do I need to learn? What do I need to do? Or me as a leader, I guess would probably be better. How do I help develop them? Or how do I help put them on a path to taking over this role? And, and, but being able to see it kind of all on paper is probably for me, one of those eye roll activities and super helpful. So I don't know what you typically suggest, but how do you suggest leaders talk to their super teeny tiny team about upward mobility and about growth potential within a tiny practice? Mm, Yeah. You know, I love that question. And, you know, I think that that could be just another whole conversation, but I think about, um, number one, having a vision and there's, there's a book that I was introduced to, and it's a really quick read and it's called the vivid vision. And it really, for me, as I was exploring what I wanted to do professionally, because I'm in a new season, um, and it really gave me some kind of framework around really thinking much more clearly about the vision for my professional life, the vision for my business. Um, So number one, I think it's about having a really clear vision. Number two, I think it's about sharing it, but then bringing that vision to life. So once you have a vision on paper, it doesn't mean anything unless you start to think maybe three years out, 
you know, what is it going to look like three years from now? What, what is the strategy? And then what is the structure that I'm going to need from a team standpoint to be able to deliver on those goals? Um, if you're a big traction fan or EOS, you know, they talk about the five-year, the five-year vision. Sometimes that can feel a little bit, bit too far out for people. But when you start to really think through that strategy and then ultimately the structure, what you're describing as like an org chart, here is where we're going. Here's kind of the roles that I think we're going to need to have at that time. So I want you to know, teammates, these are going to be opportunities for growth hopefully in the next three years. And it's so important that all of you are on board because we are all needing to be rowing in the same direction, right? We all need to be rowing towards these goals. And what that means and translates for them is that I have a future here. I have a future because I can actually see the types of roles, the types of opportunities, um, maybe the ownership opportunities within the practice down the road that really gives people um, a vision for where they can go. So, okay. I love that. And I'm going to link the book. I'll link traction. I'll link you. I'll link it all in the show notes. Um, but there's something in there that you said, and I love this idea of a three-year vision. Cause that's where I really struggle. Cause most of the time I'll be honest, it was at least in the early years, it was, I don't even know what we're having for dinner tonight. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, or what, you know, what my kids need, do I need to do the laundry? Like, do they have, you know, underwear that's clean? Do they have clothes for school. Um, but really, and I, it, this is where it kind of comes to like this virtuous circle, right? Where it's like, you need margin to create this vision and you need vision to help create margin. Right. And so all of it kind of fits so well together. It's just a matter of putting pen to paper and actually making it happen. So that's, I guess, where it's stepping outside of your practice to actually work on it is critically important. So, okay. So I love mm -hmm. that. So that kind of leads right into number three. Yeah. Yes. So the next, the next, um, the next thing is really, I call it the foundation for growth is retention. Okay. So our advisors, um, practice, practice owners, firms, um, small businesses, they know if they want to grow their client base, they have to retain and add clients. Right. But if you want to grow the business overall, you have to attract, retain, and continue to add exceptional talent. And you cannot retain people unless you actually help them get what they want for themselves. So okay. I say, say no that again BS. for the people in the back. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No BS Libby. We as leaders have to help our people get what they want for themselves. And so we don't have a ton of time to go deep on this, but I think the thing that leaders need to remember is that if step one is just knowing what people want. You know, if you have a team of people and if you haven't had the conversation with them about, hey, what are your core values? What are your top priorities? And what do you want for yourself professionally, maybe personally, and from a development standpoint? That is step one. And so at Think to Perform, we call that, you might have heard of it, the Woody Woofy process. What do you want for yourself? And it I have really never heard that, but I like it. Yes. <laughs> and it's really, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really just having a, a system for knowing what people want and helping them get that. And, you know, I remember when I first was introduced to this, Libby, I had this insecurity. Like if I really help people get what they want for themselves, 
they're going to leave me as a leader because they're going to go off and doing amazing things, right? And what I found is that that's not the case at all. So one of the women that I, that I led on a team, she's just one of my favorite people. And she shared with me in her Woody Woofy conversation, the what do you want for yourself conversation, um, a dream that she was thinking about. And I was so excited for her. Um, and in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, man, if she achieves this, what does that mean for me? I was kind of going into like a selfish mode. She'll leave the business, right? And I value her so much. And what I realized is that as I continued to develop her, she was continuing to develop people. As we were getting her to financial freedom and helping her achieve her goals, yes, it was getting her closer to that, but she was developing other people along the way. And so I just really encourage leaders to have kind of a surplus mindset here. You know, exceptional people attract exceptional people. And if you lose somebody to go on to do something that was part of a dream that they had, they're probably leaving you after they have brought amazing, exceptional people already to the team. And it's not a bad thing. It's such a beautiful thing. So, and it's something that as a leader, you can celebrate and it tells your people, man, she cares about what I want personally. And of course, Libby, you got to mean it. You got to care. I always say that's the first rule of a leader is that you actually have to care. Yeah. I'm reading, um, radical candor right now. And they talk a lot about Mm -hmm. that, like kind of, you know, sort of what you were talking about here in step three is just having like real relationships with people that transcend results, right. That transcend just here's what we're doing as a business unit or whatever, but really kind of having like the vulnerability or I don't know what the right word is, but having that like candid, open, transparent, maybe relationship with them. So I love Mm -hmm. that. So Tell yes. me more about kind of this idea of servant leadership and how, how advisors can really kind of show up in that capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, I think that, you know, servant leadership, um, for a while there, people were talking about it a lot. Right. And then it kind of, um, <clears throat> I remember having a consultant one tell, once tell me, well, Lena, it's not really about servant leadership. It's about covenant leadership where you, you make promises to their people, your people, and they make promises to you. And, um, and I remember thinking like that resonated with me, but um, I really, I really think Libby that, um, like I said, number one, the first role of leaders, you have to care. And that doesn't actually mean that you, you know, sometimes I think servant leadership gets this is like this idea that you're only serving your people. Right. And so I, I, I don't, it's not a hundred percent right for me, but like caring is actually always works for me. And it doesn't mean that, um, you know, caring means that you are developing your people. Caring means that you're willing to have those hard conversations because you care more about the development of your people than you care about your personal feelings and having a tough conversation with them, right? Mm -hmm. Caring means actually having the courage to get somebody in a role or a job that maybe is different from the one they have now, right? When you see somebody struggling, caring for them doesn't mean coddling them and keeping them where they're at. 
Caring for them means I recognize the unique gifts and abilities that this person has, and the role on my team is not their sweet spot. And while they don't maybe see it right now, I'm going to do everything in my power to get them into a role where they can actually be in their sweet spot, leaning into their unique gifts and abilities. And when they get there, oh my gosh, it feels so great. And so caring is actually like really, to me, holistic across the board. It's caring from the standpoint of always being in that level five leadership. My most important role is to develop other level fours and also lean into those hard conversations because you care about them more than you care about your discomfort in that moment. Oh, I love that. Okay. I think we need that on a t-shirt. Yeah. Yes. That yeah. Needs to be on a t-shirt. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That was amazing. Thank you for that. That gift. Yes. That was really, really, really good. Okay. So we've got step one is kind of creating that mission, vision, value. Step two is creating this culture of leadership. The five levels of leadership you talked about. Step three, my favorite, no BS, just uh, helping people get what they want for themselves the woody woofy. That's like yes. my, favorite, my new favorite thing. All right. So let's talk about step four. All right. Well, step four isn't really a skill set, but it's really understanding why people stay and why people leave. And my mentor is a guy named Doug Lenick. And um, I don't, I can't remember if you've met him or not, but he is um, just, you know, I think an exceptional leader. But one thing Doug has said to me over and over and over again is that he'll say, Elena, it's the leader. It's the leader. It's always the leader. And so when things are going great, it's the leader. And when things aren't going great, it is the leader and the right people, the people that you want on your team, the people, those level four leaders will leave your organization typically because of one of five reasons. Okay. 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 And by the way, all of these are in your control or your influence as a business leader. So number one, it's you. They're leaving you. Okay. For a variety of reasons. Number two, there is no vision. There's like that old Mm -hmm. Bible verse where there's no vision, people perish, right? It's like, that's just not a tagline. That's real. People leave when there's no vision. Number three, it's the culture. There is a culture that's unhealthy, right? One of the things that we talk about at Think to Perform a lot is when the culture feels not so good, what I always tell leaders is practice the freeze game, which is really just a 30-second um, we call it a game second, um, just pause in your day to say, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And what I'm, what am I doing as a leader? When I could feel the culture was not good. I could feel it in my stomach first. Mm -hmm. I could see that I was, what I was doing with my physical body was that my shoulders were getting kind of up in my ears. You know, I was clenching my fists. I was clenching my jaws, right? And then what am I thinking, right? So having an opportunity to do the self-assessment and from a culture standpoint, helping people get self-aware of what they're thinking, feeling, and doing oftentimes is going to lead to 
slowing down and making better decisions, which will impact culture. I love that. Okay. Number four, it's lack of professional opportunities or development. They don't know where they can go and they don't know where they can go with their told them. And you haven't told them because you don't have a vision, right? Mm -hmm. And this is not, I don't say this at all in an accusatory way. It's just when you, when you know better, then you can start to do better, right? So this is in your influence and your control as a business leader. Um, And number five, Libby, and I think this is one of the easiest, but it takes intentionality is that people leave their leader because they don't feel valued. Mm-hmm. And it is um, something that I think about my time as a formal leader in the organization that I came from. And I was really challenged in this way. I think it was like 2016 or 2017. And I actually had one of my leaders that came to me and he said, um, I really need to know more often from you that I'm doing a good job. So he identified Good for a problem him to be able to say that. Yeah, he came up with a solution and he shared it with me and I just think it was like man, that's awesome. I'm so glad he shared that. Yeah. Um and I realized that it's one of the easiest things to do, but you just need a system around it, right? Sure. Sure. Um, put it as a calendar reminder, right? Um for me it it was things like re- writing handwritten notes. You know, when we had um production reports that would come out weekly and things like that. It's like really just taking an opportunity to say, Hey, Libby, you had a great week last week. I see that. And all the work that goes into making that business happen. So thanks for serving clients so well. These are just things as a practice leader, it's like, Hey, I saw you go the extra mile for that client. I really, really appreciate that. I know it took you extra time and that takes away from all the other jobs to be done, but it mattered you know, you understand what our ideal client experience is and you went above and beyond. And so thanks for doing that. But it's really just taking a couple of minutes, not much more than maybe 20 to 30 minutes a week and thinking about, hey, who can I recognize for the work that they're doing? Um, How do I incorporate it into my weekly team meetings? How do I recognize how um, people are showing up in alignment with our values? You know, it's just taking some really intentional time to make people feel valued. So I love that. Okay. So, you know, I'm a big fan of like, okay, what can people do? Like literally right this minute when they're done listening to this podcast, how can they go do something that will make them a better leader? And so this to me pops out, right. As one of those things, like you can immediately today step back and say, thank you. And let your team know something specific that they're doing and how much you appreciate them. Um, and it's funny you mentioned that because I have a good girlfriend who's an advisor and she's always like, I just stink at this. And I'm like, okay, put a freaking reminder in your phone. And even if it feels as contrived as that, what's critically important is that they feel that, I mean, they don't have to know that you have a reminder in your phone to thank them, but if it's important to them and there was this book, oh man, I'll have to look it up. It was like a thousand ways to thank your employees or something. And a big part of it was asking them what you could do to make them feel valued. So I love that this guy you're talking about actually had the yeah self-awareness to come to you and say, Hey, I need this. Here's how I want it. Right. Like, and here's kind of the frequency at which I need. I mean, that takes a, that takes a lot to be able to ask for that. Yeah. And I remember asking my, my team, like, okay, well, what, what can I do to make you, you know, feel appreciated? And it was so funny because all of them were so incredibly different. You know, one was paid time off. The other one was 
bonuses. The other one was food. Like I would just love it if you did lunch, you know, took us out to lunch or had more lunches brought in. Like food is my love language. Okay, great. Um, you know, another one was just add a girls and pats on the back and recognition in front of other people. So as part of our team meeting process, we started integrating what we called wow moments where, um, I tried very, very diligently. And I asked everybody else on the team to do the same thing that if you notice somebody else doing something, that's really amazing. Or we get you know, feedback from a client, like, Hey, oh my gosh, I talked to Amy earlier and she was so incredibly helpful or gosh, Lori has the memory of an elephant. She remembers everything. And I'm just so thankful for her thoroughness, making a point of actually sharing that with the whole team and calling them out, you know, kind of uh, look at what is it like, you know, for every 10 negative things you say, you typically say one positive and trying to really flip that statistic on its head and trying to create that culture of positivity. So I love that. So what other things do you think people could do literally right when they're done and they could implement today or tomorrow to help improve besides hiring you their leadership skills and improve leadership culture? Yes. Well, I mean, the things that we talked about today, some of them are, are things that I think have to be more of a discipline than, than like a right away. But I think of one of the things you had asked me in preparation, like what are one or two things that, that are, um, I can't remember what the question was that really make a difference to you. And, and one of them is how I would answer this question too, is, um, surround yourself with, with resources and wise elders. You know, for me, I think of, um, the phrase iron sharpens iron. Mm -hmm. And, um, this can be something so easy for people to do. You know, I think about your podcast is one of those, um, iron or iron sharpens iron, you know, it's yes, it's something they can do on their own time, but they are, they're having a system for developing their leadership skills by learning from other people. Um, maybe it is hiring a coach, you know, for me, that was a game changer for me. Um, even maybe more personal, um, an iron shaper sharpens iron, um, example for me, was really giving myself the gift of hiring a therapist um, to really help me unpack some of the stories and the internal messaging that I wasn't even self-aware that I was telling myself about my role as a leader. You know, so I just really think would be like the first thing that somebody can do today is to really think about um, what are the systems that they have in place or that they need to put in place to continue to sharpen those skills as a leader and just start with one thing. You know, maybe it is a podcast. Maybe it's a formal leadership coach. Maybe it's a team of women. I met with a woman last week and she calls um, a small group a wolf pack that she has of six other women. And, And truly it is about, you know, not just growing sales. It's not a networking group. It's really about iron sharpening iron. And so I would just say, number one, have systems to do that and have wise people around you. Yes. Well, and that's why I surround myself with people like you and people that we can mind <laughs> and push each other and yeah, uh, absolutely. Have that culture of collaboration over competition and all the things. So I love that. Those were two amazing, dare I say the best two I've heard yet in asking that question of, of guests. So thank you for that. Um, where can our listeners, how can they find you? Where do you hang out? Where can they take in your great content? 
Yeah, good question. I mean, I am kind of um, a little bit of everywhere, which is like the exact worst thing that you want to say to this question. Um, and it's, you know, this Libby social media is not totally my forte. Um, and that's a story that I'm telling myself that um, I need to be self-aware is not serving me. So I think the first place is um, LinkedIn, because that's kind of where I hang out from a professional standpoint. Um, and it is, you know, you just find me at Elena Beckius. Um, the other places where I hang out are Instagram and Facebook, because that is where I, I have a blog that um, I write um, on an ongoing basis that sometimes has to do with leadership. And sometimes it has to do with mothership, motherhood. And sometimes it has to do with uh, just sharing kind of the lessons that I've learned over the years and my encouragement to to women um, that have gotten before me and are coming behind me. So I hope that answers your question. If people want to learn more about the work that I do, I would say probably the best way to would be to email me or to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Okay, fantastic. I'll put all of that contact information in the show notes for people. And you are fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Gosh, this has been so helpful. I know, I know so many advisors really struggle with finding that time and that energy to really step into that CEO role and hone their leadership skills. And I think you just so beautifully laid out why it is just critical to be a better leader at literally any level of practice. So thank you so much for being here. You are such a gift. Oh, thanks Libby. And thanks for doing what you're doing. I think this is such a gift to the, to so many of us. Um, and I just think this is not just for advisors. This is also, I think for business, business owners as well. I think what you're doing here is framework. Um, and I love the, the systems and the processes that you offer. So keep doing what you're doing. We need it. Thanks friend. All right. Well, yeah. have an amazing day. And I'm sure you will be back to share some more in the not so far future. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for having me, Libby. Okay. Wasn't she fantastic? I love me a podcast guest that comes with lists <laughs> and specific steps for my listeners to be able to take and literally implement in their businesses right away. You know me, I think business podcasts should have an ROI associated with listening. So what I took away from our conversation today was that having those foundational pieces, you know, what I call the roll your eyes stuff that nobody wants to do, um, are critical to not only your branding and your messaging and your client experience and building your planning process, but it sounds like it's even critical to your leadership as well and being able to then build a culture on top of that. And I love how she listed out the reasons that people leave your business because I know employing people right now is tough. Finding new people and finding really good talent is super tough right now. So in order to stay competitive, this is something you've got to work on. You've got to build your leadership and your visionary skills and your ability to communicate that to your team, whether you like it or not. <laughs> okay. And like I mentioned, this is a great companion episode to go along with episode number 23, delegate more effectively with fewer errors. The two being able to lead and then being able to manage, meaning being able to 
hire the right people, and then also have a great system for them to learn to do the things to help you scale, the two combined are like a superpower. Um, Okay. And if you need help with some of that foundational stuff, or if you are looking to kind of just peel back your business a little bit and take the time to slow down and stop and just actually work on some of that stuff that's been on the to-do list for like 500 years that you know you need to get done. Things like building these foundational pieces, things like creating your own system to delegate. Um, yeah, what else are we, what else do we, what else? Everything, we go through everything. Um, being able to create your unique voice, your why story, being able to build out your financial planning process and all of the systems and processes behind the scenes to run that planning process consistently. Being able to know and understand who is the right next hire for my practice. And I'll give you a hint, it might not always be adding another assistant. So, If you're interested in some of those kinds of things and like a gajillion things more where we share templates and ideas and uh, we create nurture sequences and all the things, check out the group coaching program. Uh, The website may or may not be totally updated by the time that this podcast's released. Just kind of depends on how I'm doing, right? Start messy and make it fancy later. And you can get on the wait list for when we open up the next round of coaching to get all of the details and information about our group coaching program, which we are going to come up with a much cooler name and I'm working on it. (laughs) And if you've implemented anything from this podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you would do me do me a solid (laughs) and leave me a review on Apple iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen. I get a huge kick and it literally makes my day when I read the reviews that you guys are leaving and It means so, so much to me, and it helps other advisors find the podcast. And the whole point of me being here is to help as many people as I possibly can. Anywho, I will be hanging out in the Efficient Advisor community on Facebook if you'd like to hang out and chat. I will also be active on LinkedIn. Those are the two places you can find me the most. And I will drop all of the links from today into the show notes as usual. And I hope you guys have an amazing, productive week, and I'll talk to you next Tuesday.